butter has been an essential part of our diet for millennia. Literally, our bread and butter. Butter chicken wouldn't be the same without it. I mean, let's have margarine chicken for dinner. Really? I don't think so. But at the same time, let's not get too nostalgic. The world and our waistline have changed. So maybe we need to make a change too. For all its natural yellow wonder, should our beloved butter be next on the chopping list? Episode 7. Butter. We've had butter almost as long as we've been collecting milk. It only takes about 30 seconds of sloshing about before butter just naturally happens, and we have what Seamus Haney called coagulated sunlight, which is not far off the mark. When milk or cream is churned, the fat inside it spontaneously coalesces, eventually into large enough globs that can be collected. This is butter. Margarine, on the other hand, is a pale imitation, literally. The original margarine was said to be conceived in response to a challenge laid down by the French emperor. In 1869, strikes swept across France. The workers were revolting, as usual. But the army was hungry and about to go to war, and there was simply not enough butter to spread around. But rather than tell them that they should all just go and eat cake... That had previously been tried before with fatal results. The emperor hatched a scientific competition to find a cheap alternative to butter. Supposedly, there was only one entry, which naturally won. It was a very practical and ingenious idea. You simply take beef fat, known as tallow, and mix it in with leftover skim milk. In other words, the milk after the cream and the butter has been taken out. It wasn't yellow, in fact it was kind of pale grey like winter clouds, but it effectively regenerated the creamy, fat content of butter. And more importantly, it allowed a new alternative for the hungry masses to spread on their croissant. However, it was only subsequently when beef tallow was replaced by processed vegetable oil and the whole concoction was dyed yellow that margarine really became the new butter. But even then, it languished for many years as the greasy counterfeit, a cheap imitation only for those who couldn't access or afford the real deal. But then the world turned on its head. It was discovered that those people who ate large amounts of saturated animal fat, like that in butter, also had increased levels of bad cholesterol in their blood, so predisposing them to having a heart attack or a stroke. By contrast, other people who ate just as much total fat overall, but got them chiefly from the oils they used with only limited animal fat, not only had much lower cholesterol levels, but also fewer heart problems. One example were the people who lived on a Mediterranean island called Crete, who had far fewer heart attacks compared to regular Americans who ate just as much fat overall in their diet. 
ignoring the fact that there'd just been a major war in Europe and that Crete had been largely decimated as a result, and mass production had been replaced by self-sufficiency in Crete. The difference between these two populations was actually ascribed to the different fats they ate. The Cretans preferred olive oil. The Americans preferred butter and lard. Because of this succinct explanation, saturated fat became the dietary villain of the latter half of the 20th century. And modern generations, as a result, eat less than half the saturated fat that they did 50 years ago, on the promise of a longer life as a result. As around half of all the fat in butter is saturated fat, it was first to go on the chopping list. By contrast, standard margarine contains about 20% saturated fat, and this is why they all proudly display in advertising, we have 60% less saturated fat than butter because they do. This is a bit like a light beer compared to a standard ale. contains less of the evil alcohol, so therefore using it will be less intoxicating, right? So to lower the bad cholesterol in your blood and save your life, the advertising and even the doctors told us to choose margarine instead of butter, to choose life over a sticky end. Of course, The dairy farmers were up in arms, especially in rural countries like New Zealand, where its dairy industry had lobbied long and hard to prevent margarine from ever being sold in the country. In fact, until 1972, it was illegal to buy margarine in New Zealand without a doctor's prescription, and even then, you had to go to a pharmacy to get your margarine. There were very serious concerns of a quiet invasion of a bogus butter intended to deceive consumers. Like in the movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers, one day Kiwis would wake up and find their brave new world was filled with unrecognisable alien duplicates that had anything but their health in mind. But you can't hold back the tide of opinion, however erroneous, and the Margarine Act of 1908 was finally amended in 1972 to allow margarine to finally flow in New Zealand. In a last-ditch attempt to maintain market share, the New Zealand dairy lobby hatched a grand scheme to mandate that all margarine should be dyed blue, so consumers would immediately be able to spot the difference between local butter and alien margarine. Not surprisingly, it failed. Margarine is still dyed, though, but yellow, so a generation later, our kids can hardly tell the difference. It is perfectly true that if there are any benefits of cutting out foods that are high in saturated fat, like butter, or switching to foods that are lower in saturated fat, like margarine or vegetable oil, they are almost entirely due to the modest lowering of bad cholesterol in our blood. So in the 70s and 80s, avoiding bad saturated animal fat at all costs was the central tenet of a healthy diet and polyunsaturated margarine naturally became the king. It looked good on paper, and in the kitchen. But sadly, the doctors were wrong. They had struck a bargain with the devil, and we all know how that turns out. As you'd expect, there really was a hidden catch. The fall of butter created an opening for a new kind of fat to waterproof our sandwiches, and this was called trans fat. Although hailed as the saviour, in the end it turned out to be 
easily the most maleficent fat of all. When purified, the mostly polyunsaturated oils you find in plants aren't solid at room temperature. They're liquid oils, of course. You can dip your bread in to soak them up, but you can't spread them like butter. Unless, of course, you modify them through some kind of processing. For example, when unsaturated fats are overheated, trans fats are spontaneously created. In this new chemical structure, a trans fat looks and behaves like a saturated fat when it comes to cooking. It can be semi-solid at room temperature and melt on heating, just like butter. It's also great for cooking too. In fact, head-to-head, trans fats produce more reliably, uniform, fluffy pastries than even butter. Trans fat also has a longer shelf life than polyunsaturated fat. It also doesn't burn as easily as saturated fat. It's also cheaper to mass-produce than butter. In fact, the discovery of how to make trans fats was so revolutionary that its inventors received the Nobel Prize. All this culinary chemistry without the price tag. With trans fats on board, products could now be considered the healthy alternative, and they became hugely popular because they did not contain the nutritional devil, saturated fat, and its deleterious effects on our cholesterol levels. Trans fat looked like a panacea, but it really was a poison. The same super-resistant chemistry that made trans fat a culinary wonder also made it deadly for our health. In fact, pound for pound, trans fats increase the risk of dying prematurely more than any other component of our diet. And in 1980, the major source of trans fat in our diet was the margarine. The same margarine we were told to eat more of for our good health. With the writing clearly on the wall, margarine and vegetable shortening set about eliminating trans fats from their mix. So that today, fortunately, most are less than 0.2% trans fat. But this is achieved by new processing techniques. Again, to chemically transform the fats in vegetable oils in different ways to make them harder, make them useful for cooking and spreading, but now without producing large amounts of trans fats. But they are still modified. They are not a completely natural product that the advertising promotes. And the potential health consequences of such adulterations and processing are still hotly debated. But the other sad reality is that many developing countries do not have the facilities to eliminate trans fats from processing. So in some places like India, where many people use vegetable ghee in their cooking, this ghee may be up to 50% trans fat. And the consequences this will have on their health in the long term will be seen for generations. However, the biggest fatty component of modern margarine, and most modern diets for that matter, is polyunsaturated fat. Most of the unsaturated fat in our diet, as well as a quarter of the saturated fat, comes from the oils and the spreads we eat. Their impact on our health is not simply because it's not saturated. Polyunsaturated fats have their own special actions. Some fats are positively essential for our health. In particular, the specially placed reactive double bonds that make unsaturated fats unsaturated actually make them very useful for making things like essential regulatory and signaling chemicals. But the fact that we can't get by without them 
doesn't mean that they are essentially good for us in the very large doses or the unnatural ratios we often take them, which can alter the balance of signaling chemicals being made and potentially have consequences for our health. To address this potential imbalance, it's now recommended to increase our intake of omega-3 unsaturated fats, specifically by eating more oily fish. But more on this fishy story in another episode. But another way to bring the fats we eat back into balance is to lower our intake of vegetable seeds, nuts and their oil. In other words, chop out things like margarine. Many popular diets, including the paleo diet, achieve this by simply recommending we go back to using butter instead. Finally, it is important to remember that whatever the fat we eat, whether saturated or unsaturated, all fat has a bad name for another important reason. More than any other component in our diet, the fat we eat is regarded as the arch enemy of our waistlines and consequently of our long-term health. So much so that until very recently, cutting out the fat and the low-fat label were considered synonymous with the good, healthy, lean alternative. Fat has a number of characteristics that make it appear especially villainous. Pound for pound, the fat in any meal provides twice as many calories than the same amount of sugar or protein, which leaves a lot more to go straight to our hips. Consequently, many low-fat diets are also low-calorie diets, which can help us to lose weight, or at least not gain it as easily. And this provides the rationale for cutting out or cutting back those things that are rich in fat. So both butter and margarine get put on the chopping list again because both are at least 80% fat. There's no such thing as low-fat margarine. It has to be at least 80% fat to carry that moniker, otherwise it's called a spread, but even then it's still mostly fat. So whether you opt for butter, or margarine, or a spread, it still adds fat and calories to your balance. And cutting them out makes just a little bit more room inside our pants. But we aren't simply what we eat. Just because we like our fatty butter doesn't mean we are fat or are going to get fat or fatter. Equally, a low-fat diet doesn't mean we will always lose weight. Any extra calories from any source ultimately leads to more fat in our body, no matter if it started out as fat, sugar or protein. Overeating anything and everything with calories will still make us fatter, even if it is branded as the low-fat, lean choice. It's just that we generally need to eat more of the low-fat diet than of our favourite butter chicken to pack on the same number of pounds. The bottom line is that neither butter or saturated fat are really the enemy kind of like the booze, it's more about how we use them that counts. Butter is a natural wonder, with incomparable flavour, but it's also over 80% fat. We need this fat for culinary creation, and to stop the cucumber sandwiches from going soggy. But we don't need it around our waistlines, so maybe have just one piece of cake, or 
one sandwich instead of four and make it worth your while. For more information on butter and anything else to do with longevity, please read The Longevity List by Merlin Thomas, available from all good bookstores or from xlpublishing.com. Thank you for listening.